Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King. Adam Silverstein here to lead you through these hard times, data with instant analysis of NXT TakeOver in your house. That's right, just minutes after the show went off the air. It is 9.30 here on the East Coast. The Silver King is here to break down everything that happened on Sunday night's card. We're going to get right into the goodness, but before we do, a reminder, head on over to Apple Podcasts. Give us that five-star rating and review. You know on this show, it is all about the five. Also, do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. You can follow me, the Silver King, at Silverstein Adam. And a reminder that we will be back Tuesday, this upcoming Tuesday, with our full WWE edition of Getting Over, breaking down everything that went down on SmackDown and is going to happen on Raw Monday night. But let's jump right into NXT TakeOver in your house. And you know the way we do instant analysis here at Getting Over. We pop a bottle, or in this case, a can. And we're rolling with Rare Bird from Oozle Finch. It's a uh, some type of coffee, vanilla, lager. I don't know. Excited to try it. Let's see how it is. Oh, yeah. That is going to get the job done tonight. So let's take a look at NXT TakeOver in your house. Overall, right off the bat, the throwback retro presentation, it was everything we could have hoped to see and more, to be honest with you, starting with the effort that WWE and NXT put into the set to make it look special. It actually, TakeOver actually felt like more of a studio wrestling show than anything we've seen to this point, really from any of the companies. Due to the short entrance, the crowd, it was noisy. They did have some audio problems throughout, which I would have thought they had rectified at least during the, you know, Velveteen Dream Adam Cole match, considering it was pre-taped. But the ring bell and the microphone, everything inside full sail, basically you heard it twice. It wasn't an echo necessarily. It was more you heard it in the arena and then you also heard it on the mic, you know, uh, presented to the audience at home. So that was strange and something I wish they would have corrected. Of course, though, using Todd Pettengill for the intro and throughout the entire show was awesome. It was a fantastic, like, nostalgic touch uh, just to the entire show. The intro with the line, over five and a half years, the revolutionary force in sports entertainment, great throwback. Uh, the promotional consideration spots, the ice cream bars, the Ico Pro, Adam Cole, even imitated Bret Hart for that Ico Pro spot, which was really freaking cool. I, I did tweet it at getting overcast the entire video. So if you haven't seen it yet or you didn't watch the show or you missed it, whatever the case, go over to the Twitter account and check out that video. It was awesome. And of course, the WWE shop spot uh, and HBK typing with one finger, just like he used to in the AOL chat room days. That's always going to pop me. Uh, commentary though, for TakeOver, it really was not up to NXT standards. It's difficult to call a show live when you're not on location. And that's what Mauro Ranallo and Beth Phoenix were. They were not there. And Tom Phillips, as he has been every week, every Wednesday on NXT, he was actually there. So Mauro made a couple, at least to me, unusual mistakes. And there's been a weird kind of thing going on with Mauro recently where ever since he left social media, people have kind of turned on him and they start talking about him like he's not a great wrestling play-by-play man, which he absolutely is. Maybe there's a feeling like he's going too much into the pop culture references. And I guess there's something to be said for that. Maybe it is a little bit of a caricature of what Mauro Ronaldo is all about in terms of him going to that well a few too many times. But when you sit back and, and listen to him call a match, the moves, the action that's actually happening, he's really unmatched, or, or at least he's top tier. And I don't think that him 
calling combat sports from his house. Um, I don't. I think he's in Canada. He may be on LA. I'm not sure where he is. But that is not going to be your top tier, Mauro Ronaldo. It's not going to be the top tier. Anyone doing the job in that manner. Just it's not possible to do it as well when you're not there. He did miss some spots. Um, a couple of the calls were wrong. But I mean, those are just things we overlook because we know the history and we know what he is capable of long term. So, you know, uh, excuses given and accepted for Morrow tonight. Uh, the other thing that's interesting is this is another pay-per-view from WWE. Obviously, this is NXT, but it went two hours and 23 minutes. So very short, but still delivered numerous quality matches. And when we do the instant analysis for anyone who is a first time listener, we start with the main event and we work our way backwards. And the main event of NXT TakeOver In Your House was the Women's Championship. I believe the first time since Sasha Banks versus Bayley that has happened. And boy, oh boy, did it deserve the spot. Charlotte Flair defending the title against Io Shirai and Rhea Ripley. Their entrances were fantastic. Charlotte Flair being so dominant, both in the action that she presented in the ring and the attitude at the start of the match was definitely the right way to frame it because she's the NXT great and the legend in the match. And I definitely cackled like a couple minutes in when she did the suck it gesture because the crowd was booing her. That was great. The pace of this match though was incredibly fast and shocking, really fast to a shocking extent, even considering a triple threat match usually allows for competitors to take breaths and pauses, you get a lot of one-on-one action with that third person getting a little bit of a break, but you did not see that here. Speak about break, it was break neck from a pace standpoint throughout the entire match, and I did appreciate that. It was very similar to the winner-take-all main event at WrestleMania uh, with you know Becky Lynn, Charlotte Flair, and Ronda Rousey. There was very little in that match that slowed down, and in fact, it's similar to another Charlotte Flair triple threat match. It was Flair, Becky Lynch, and Asuka at TLC 2018, which was actually a sneaky candidate for one of my WWE matches of the year in 2018. Uh, But nevertheless, this was just a top-notch triple threat match from the women. Like I said, breakneck pace. uh, And Io Shirai's greatness was really on display throughout the entire match. She was the glue that kept everything together here. Uh, You saw the, certainly the, the flying press off the roof of the house, her numerous moves in the ring that kept both Charlotte Flair and Rhea Ripley on their heels. She was just great from top to bottom. You know, Rhea Ripley was kind of the third wheel in this match when you think about it. Charlotte was the champion coming in, the dominant force. Io Shirai was clearly the one um, who, you know, was the one they were trying to get over and she had moments throughout. But it was Rhea Ripley who was, you know, I don't want to say she was forgotten about, but she was, you know, like I said, the third wheel, the one that, had the least impact in the match itself. That said, there were good callbacks throughout the entire match. The middle rope riptide that Ripley hit on Flair, you say to yourself, well, she would have beat her because she beat Shayna Baszler with that move. That's exactly what won her the title. And she only didn't win because Io Shirai interfered. She broke up the pinfall. Then you had Flair going back to the kendo stick out of frustration, which she did previously when she realizes she just cannot beat the best that NXT has to offer these days. Now, granted, I did call the finish to the match on this podcast, um, but I'm going to have to criticize it for the same reason I criticized the Cruiserweight Triple Threat finish a couple weeks ago. Because when there is a pinfall that's being counted, either during a submission or as a submission is still somewhat locked in, 
with the other person's body, the person who is putting the offensive part of the submission on, still being attached. And you're going to count a pinfall. Well, technically, there's two people touching that that person being counted for the pinfall at the same time. So just as I thought that there probably should have been a tie, if you want to call it that, in that Cruiserweight triple threat match, there probably should have been one here as well. The difference between the two is in the Cruiserweight match, the submission was still very much locked in. Whereas in this one, Flair's legs had begun to separate after Io Shirai hit the moonsault on Rhea Ripley, breaking up the figure eight. So this one was a little bit better in that regard. Now, I do hope Rhea Ripley's okay because that moonsault did not land the way it was supposed to. And I believe she kicked or kneed Rhea Ripley right in the face, she being Io Shirai there. But that is a small demerit to what was otherwise a very good, very entertaining match. NXT ultimately made the right decision and put the right woman over in Io Shirai. It was a crowning moment for her something she has been well-deserving of. I mentioned in the preview show, she's been there two years. She's been in the main event for an entire year and never won the NXT Women's Championship. And if you look at it in the larger context, WWE now has two Japanese women among its three singles champions. Of course, the other one being Asuka. And of the two major organizations in America, the other one being AEW, three of the four singles women champion Champions are Japanese, of course, including Hikaru Shida. And all of this, as everyone is still grieving and mourning over the loss of Hannah Kimura. So when you put all of that into context, the fact that NXT gave her the Japanese wrestling celebration of, of streamers and the like, confetti, it just was a great moment for Io Shirai. It was the correct main event for the show. And to grade this match, you have to give it an A because even if the action was maybe closer to a B despite loving it. And it wasn't very long, which you normally want a longer match if you're going to give something an A grade. The the moment, um, it felt right. And just, you know, the way Io Shirai celebrated as well, really put it over, you know, even falling backwards on those turnbuckles, holding the title like it meant the world to her. It was great to see. And, and as I said, long deserving champion Io Shirai is. Um, of course, the other thing to mention here, is it kind of looks like one would assume that Charlotte Flair's time in NXT is now over. She you know, beat Rhea Ripley for the title at WrestleMania, and Ripley never really got that win back over Charlotte Flair. So Flair got her win, and what happened on the way out? She did not lose, <laughs> of course, because she didn't get her shoulders pinned, and she's not the one who submitted. So again, we go all the way back to 2018, which is the last time that Charlotte Flair has been defeated clean in a decisive victory. She did lose to Kyrie Sane uh, a couple months ago, I believe, on Raw. That was a handicap match that really does not count. This, you know, when you talk about Flair actually being the one to lose a match, we're nearly at two years now. And it, you have to wonder, what are they going to, when is that moment going to matter? You know, is it for a returning Becky? Is it for Sasha Banks? Is it for Rhea Ripley when she eventually gets called up to the primary roster? Now you have Yushirai as champion, and she's kind of been a tweener recently, but she does, she's supposed to be a heel. Is do we now get an Yoshirai Rhea Ripley program? And does that pay off with Ripley winning the title SummerSlam weekend? Or is this a longer burn? We don't know. But what I do know is that Rhea Ripley coming out of 2019, literally the last NXT of 2019, she was red freaking hot. She was the biggest woman in the business, you could make the argument. People were all about her. Maybe, you know, maybe not biggest in the business. Certainly Becky Lynch still exists. 
but she was the hottest, you know, she was getting the most attention and they had her lose, you know, obviously the empty arena matches started and the, the coronavirus, then they have her lose to Flair and she doesn't get her win back. So it is an interesting booking decision, but um, nevertheless, they did make the right decision in the end in making Io Shirai the new NXT women's champion. Now, the second to final match, splitting up the two title matches, the two big title matches on the card, you had Karrion Cross defeat Tommaso Ciampa in six minutes. Six minutes, Slim Shady, you're on. Uh, nice touch, leaving the in-your-house and graphics black and white in the background throughout the entire match. I'm not sure if everyone caught that. You know, they let Karrion Cross absolutely dominate with his size and strength right out of the gate. And it was really a good decision because it let you know he was for real. And it's exactly what I expected to happen because the goal of this match ultimately is to put Karrion Cross over as strong as you possibly can. And you want to do that against a main event level opponent like Champa, obviously a former NXT champion in his own right. Champa got his chance to come back after hitting Widow's Bell and was it was a necessary part to kind of continue that story. But that was the entire offense that he got. Cross hit that release F5 or the fireman's carry throw, whatever you want to call it. Um, it was an impressive move on a smaller guy like Champa. And then, you know, he hit the cross jacket and put him right to sleep, knocked him out. So you had Champa lose without submitting, without getting pinned. And yet he still looked, yeah, he didn't look strong. He got protected by that finish. It was almost too short of a match to grade, but ultimately the goal was to put Karrion Cross over and have him look strong in doing so and still believe that Champa is not a weakling all of a sudden. And they accomplished all three of those goals. So I give that a B. I think it was A-OK, two thumbs up, got the job done. Now we'll move on to the backlot brawl, the NXT championship between Adam Cole, who was defending against Velveteen Dream. Uh, and this was a controversial match. It really was. I, I've seen various opinions from loving it to absolutely hating it. And I fall somewhere in the middle, a little bit closer to the loving, but definitely did not love it, all things considered. So, oh, oh, okay, Lamborghini Mercy. Dream, he is so thirsty. Those entrances at the beginning with Cole and Dream were tremendous. Dream coming out, combination of Hogan, Hollywood Hogan, Little Roddy Piper, a little kind of Sting-esque, you know, as well with the braids. Looked awesome. He looked like a million bucks. I was hesitant to buy into the backlot brawl idea off the jump, as we've seen so many of these cinematic matches in such a short period of time. But in general, I do think it was well done. I saw a lot of people just didn't like the match, which actually confused me because I did feel it was superior in many ways to Gargano Champa 4. And it certainly was planned out well. The process by which that match was booked made sense to me. The idea of having the cars with the headlights surround the ring, it looked really good. And it did give you a street fight feel. The problem was the lights got in the way too frequently. So what they really should have done is put that ring on a lift. It should have been about five additional feet in the air. And had they done that, or maybe even put it on a platform that was five feet in the air, had they done that, you would not have been as annoyed by the lights, but you still would have gotten the effect of them. So that was certainly an issue. Then you had the single spotlight basically on a crane, which I did like that look. And it seemed to be just enough light to get the match going. But because of all the camera cuts 
and the shaky cam, it really distracted you as a viewer and hurt your eyes while you were watching the match. It felt more gritty and more like a street fight than even Stadium Stampede did. But they didn't succeed to the same level as Stadium Stampede in that the action was tougher to follow. So it was a very WWE match in terms of the way it was shot. And that's a negative because when you look at something like the Boneyard match, I believe the WWE hired a crew, an outside crew to film that. And now I'm not sure what they did exactly with Firefly Funhouse, but the others, I believe they've all done themselves. And when you talk about the Money in the Bank match, uh, I had a lot of problems with that for some of the same reasons, not so much lighting, but the camera cuts, the story flow, just things that didn't really work. So I liked the concept of the presentation. It, it made a ton of sense. And there were much of the match I did enjoy, as you'll see with my grade at the end here. But I do recognize that there were issues and um, it's a little bit disappointing because this was a match that I thought could have been a really big deal for Velveteen Dream, but obviously it wasn't. We'll get to that right now. Uh, the consistent trash talk between Cole and Dream had added to the spectacle. They did a better job of getting across the gravity of this rivalry in the match itself than NXT did in the promotion leading up to it, both on the Prime Target special and on TV. This is a feud, as I mentioned in our preview show. It's been going on for months. There's so many machinations involved and they just didn't make it feel in the lead up like it was that big of a deal. But certainly in the moment, it did feel important. And the way they entered was a big part of that. Uh, Adam Cole took that huge bump off the ladder, basically, or off the um, hood of the car into the windshield. It was brutal. And I thought the Undisputed Era's interference was well-timed, using the high beams and to kind of distract Velveteen Dream, honking the horn. And then it was clear that they had a plan to attack him because they had all those chairs in the pickup truck, basically, that Adam Cole drove to the ring. So that was all really smart. They did a great illusion on NXT TV this past week with Dexter Loomis drawing the caricature of him driving Undisputed Era in a truck. And, you know, we did talk about it on the preview show. It did kind of allude to what was going to happen. It was pretty obvious. Uh, but he kidnapped uh, Roderick Strong and Bobby Fish and drove them off. Uh, I thought that Cole and Dream and, and whoever booked the match did a very good job saving the signature moves until deep in the match, basically until the finish. And that finish, the Panama Sunrise onto the pile of chairs was awesome. It was a great finish. You can hate the match, but you have to appreciate that finish. And it was good to see a Canadian destroyer finally win a match for a change and not just be a move that's used like 17 times as Cole honestly has done. He's used that Panama Sunrise like six times in individual matches. It was also great to see an Adam Cole match without a false finish. It's actually just, you have the finish and it happens and he won. You do wonder about the decision though of having Cole go over here. Um, I thought this was a really good spot to give Velveteen Dream the title and he looked great in the match, but it's also pretty clear he wasn't going to win the title when this was not put in the main event. So it kind of gave it away to me before the match even started. So what does this mean? Does it mean that Velveteen Dream is going to get called up? I would say yes, because he has nothing else to accomplish now in NXT. He had his North American Championship run. Next was supposed to be an NXT title. And yeah, you can do things other than be the main champion. But for him, that time has kind of run out. It's also difficult because since coming back from injury, he has not looked his best. Now, we said the same about Seth Rollins when he came back from his injury. It took him six to nine months and all of a sudden he was putting on incredible matches. So maybe this is a situation where 
Dream hasn't had the opportunity to work out and train and wrestle and go on the, the circuit in Florida. And he's just insanely rusty, but just something doesn't seem right about him. He's not as hot as he had been about a year ago. So that's a little bit of a disappointment. What does this mean for Adam Cole? Obviously, he's two months away from his contract expiring. Does this mean he re-signed with WWE? If not, he's champion with basically two months left on that contract and NXT now having him go on over a year as champion. We don't know when the next takeover is going to be. We assume it's SummerSlam weekend. We don't know where SummerSlam is going to be. It's supposed to be in Boston, but we're not thinking that's going to happen. So there are a lot of questions kind of left in the air here about Adam Cole and Velveteen Dream coming out of this match. It is tough to grade these cinematic matches because they are taped beforehand. There's They're allowed a lot of edits. I probably, my maximum grade for this probably would have been a B plus, but because of all the things I mentioned, I'm going to go ahead, give it a B minus. Now I do have a couple DM slides here. Uh, Jason Jeter at J Jeter Leo. He said the NXT championship disappointed. Is it me or is Velveteen Dream uh, lost some of his luster since coming back from injury? Seems like they took too long to elevate him. So I already addressed the first part there. The second point, I don't think they took too long to elevate him. He's young. I think he's 24 years old. He's got plenty of time. Uh, But at the same time, you do look at like where he is now and he is stuck in a rut. And I thought giving him the NXT title would kind of break him out of it. Even if he wanted to give the title back to Cole in a month, they still could have given him a run with it. They could have had him get the win here. But he has lost the two NXT championship matches that he's been in. uh, And he's been unsuccessful in many of his other feuds. So you do wonder like what the plan is for Velveteen Dream these days. None of this changes the fact that I think he's a future WWE champion. I think he has a long career in front of him. But you do start to wonder what the plans are uh, when he loses a match like this that it really kind of made sense that he would win and that you would end Cole's title reign. Another one from Jacob Doyle at the Jacob Doyle. They gotta be setting up Finn Balor versus Adam Cole for the NXT title, right? Not any face challengers left and Cole uh, talking himself up as the greatest challenger ever. That's a great question. Let's pause though and get to that in a minute because I have not yet spoken about Finn Balor. So we'll get there in a little bit. Let's move on though to the North American Championship. Keith Lee defending against Johnny Gargano. You know, I said it in the lead up to this match. I'm not a fan of the attempted comedy stuff in this particular feud. Gargano put the key to that door in his trunks. So why is he banging on the door to get in when Keith Lee's nowhere near him? Reach into your trunks, get the key, put it in the lock, open the door. You know, like I'm just, I was just surprised at that. It didn't make much logistical sense. I was also surprised that how slow this match was from the start. It was not believable to me that Gargano was that dominant over Lee for so long in the beginning of the match. And I also found the first half of the match to be incredibly sloppy, just missed moves from both guys. These are two, you know, they're among the best wrestlers in the world. They're both extremely talented. I can't tell you how many awesome matches I've seen between them, but there was something at the beginning that just didn't feel right to me. It, it, maybe it was coming out off the, the Finn Balor-Damian Priest match, which was a lot higher paced, faster paced. That um, This one fell a little flat, but the beginning did not work for me. Also, Gargano being a heel, it didn't make sense that he would stop the referee's count to prevent himself from getting a victory. That's exactly what he should have wanted. He should have probably yelled at the ref for not counting faster. Stopping the count didn't make sense. And it definitely didn't make sense when he goes ahead and a couple of moments later uses the key that, oh, he now remembers is in his tights 
on Keith Lee. He uses it on Keith Lee. So he's a heel. He's using a key as a weapon, but he forgets he has the key when he needs it just moments after putting it in his trunks. Uh, you know, again, the logic there just really didn't work for me. Obviously, the pounce into the plexiglass, that was a sick spot. It's going to be on highlight reels for years to come. Of course, you have the Adam Cole pounce where he pounced, or Keith Lee pounced him into the crowd a few months ago, whenever that was. Uh, the Johnny Gargano one through the plexiglass. That was a brutal spot. Pretty awesome for them to accomplish that live. It was really solid. I definitely thought that Lee, though, was going to go down with that DDT near fall. So it was a nice surprise finish for me. He looked strong with multiple kickouts down the stretch, despite all of Johnny's kicks and knees and everything he tried. Lee looked really strong there. And I was glad that NXT didn't just say, hey, Lee took all this punishment, but one spirit bomb and Gargano's finished. They didn't do that. They had him hit the spirit bomb, then hit a second power bomb on Gargano, and then the Big Bang catastrophe for the one, two, three. That was a really good match towards the end. It picked up massively over the second half. It didn't steal the show like I thought it might, but I'm still coming out of it, giving it a B plus. Just solid match top to bottom. I would love to see what those two could do given 25 minutes and no comedy, just have them go at each other. I, I would love to see it. Um, but obviously we had Candice LeRae and Mia Yim interfere, the comedy at the beginning. That stuff just didn't work for me in this one. But again, I'm still giving high grades. So this was still really good shit, pal, as Vince McMahon might say. Finn Balor versus Damian Priest. This was a match that, to me, stole the show. Uh, you know, you can say the women's main event was the best match of the show, but if it if it wasn't, then this is your other option. Balor Priest it was more fa- fast-paced than I expected. Priest can really go at a high rate. It surprised me, and he looked fantastic in this match. Maybe the best he has looked so far in NXT. The razor's edge that he put onto Finn Balor was badass. The reversed razor's edge with Priest banging off the steps. His back was absolutely brutal. Uh, Balor going over was ultimately the right decision. He's the main event talent and he needs to be treated like that in NXT. He has to go after the title sooner than later to answer the question uh, that was just asked. I would love to see Balor have the program with Cole, beat Cole, and then you have Karrion Cross pop up as that next challenger. But I don't know what they're going to be doing with Karrion Cross in the interim because he just beat Champa. So really, where else is there for him to go? He he beat one of the top guys on the entire brand. Maybe he goes after Keith Lee in the North American Championship. That would make sense. That could open up a spot for Keith Lee to now challenge Finn Balor for the NXT title. But do you want Cross having the mid-card title when he's clearly a main event talent? I don't, I don't really know about that. Um, but still, Priest was kept strong in the finish. Balor needed two coup de gras just to pin him. And this was definitely a match, like I said, it exceeded expectations. I'm going to give it an A minus just because that main event to me was the A match of the show. And if you're picking nits, I kind of have to drop it just a little bit. But honestly, if you told me that this was an A match and it was your favorite match on the show, I would totally believe it. Uh, You know, I I would totally accept that. Uh, Casey Newton at Suplex Casey. He asks, what is Balor supposed to gain from feuding with a heel? And what the heck is an archer of infamy? Second question is really good. Uh, feuding with the heel, Balor's a tweener. I mean, you can you can say he's a total heel, but fans want to cheer for him. He's Finn Balor. I mean, you know, you can be a totally despicable heel, but people still like you. I think there's a big difference between Johnny Gargano, the way he's been booked, and Finn Balor, who got attacked in the backstage area and certainly was trash-talked by Cameron Grimes, a heel, and st- stood up in his face. So Balor to me is a tweener, not necessarily a heel. That part I don't care about. In terms of 
Archer of Infamy. You know, what's a nature boy? You know, that when, when people say stuff like that about gimmicks, I kind of always go back to that. What the hell is a nature boy? Uh, what are some of these other names that, that people have? You have to remember they're playing off the quote unquote live forever and immortal stuff. Damien Priest wants to be immortal. So they found something that sounds good when you put it near his name. An archer of infamy. I don't know that it sounds good, but it doesn't sound bad. It's okay. Let's not forget, he started in NXT as the man of the new millennium, Damian Priest. So I think Archer of Infamy is a step up from that. Uh, we'll finish up with the six-woman tag team match that opened the show. I did not expect the faces to win here, but I loved the way that Tegan Knox and Shotzi Blackheart worked together throughout the match, particularly in the finish. Giving Knox that pinfall victory over Dakota Kai was a bit of a surprise to me, but it doesn't make sense because it keeps that one-on-one feud going. Certainly Kai can say that. There were other factors involved in the finish to the match. She had Candice LeRae disappear with Mia Yim fighting backstage. You know, I am curious what's going to happen with that feud. They're clearly not going to be challenging for the women's title. So how many more singles matches are we going to see between Mia Yim and Candice LeRae? Maybe we'll get a cage match or something special. I'm not sure. I don't really know. I don't think it's the red hair per se, but Tegan Knox does have some Becky Lynch qualities to her. And I'm kind of excited to see what's going to happen for the remainder of her, of her career because of this group of six women that were in that match, she clearly came off as the one that had a potential to be a big time star. So this match exceeded my expectations. Solid B, you know, for an opening match on TakeOver, we've seen some of the greatest matches ever. That North American, uh, you know, five-man, six-man ladder match, whatever the hell it was at TakeOver New Orleans, that was a five-star match. It was an A-plus match. This was not that. Uh, but when you realize it was a six-woman tag match that kind of got added at the last minute and it's still delivered and got most of the people in that match over, Raquel Gonzalez had a couple good spots. Dakota Kai did as well. Candice LeRae certainly did all three of the faces had those big spots off the top rope to the outside. So I just thought it was a successful match altogether. So when you look at this show, I mean, look, if I'm consolidating my grades, an A, a B, a B minus, you know, a B plus, an A minus and a B, that's a good show. But at the same time, it did not live up to what we have come to expect from NXT TakeOvers. What we do expect from those shows are five-star match after five-star match but you're not going to get that in this current environment, dealing with the coronavirus, an empty arena. They did have fans, and I did think that the Performance Center talent did a good job keeping it lively for a takeover, certainly more lively than they do for a three-hour Raw or a two-hour SmackDown or even a two-hour NXT. But when you think of that NXT takeover, it's the atmosphere of the fans, right? It's Morrow being at the top of his game. It's a five-star match in the main event that absolutely blows you away and a couple other great matches that maybe you didn't expect to be as good as they they were. There was nothing wrong with this show. If this was a regular WWE pay-per-view, I think people would be screaming its praises and saying it was one of the best shows of the year. But this is a takeover. And I don't think that in the pantheon of takeovers, this is going to be, you know, in that top five, top seven range. Just it didn't hit that mark. But look, Sunday night, June 7th, in the middle of a pandemic, Watching wrestling at home, I was thoroughly entertained, and I hope you were, you were as well. Uh, the in-your-house concept absolutely delivered. I thought Paul Levesque, obviously Triple H, did a great job ensuring that 
they incorporated some of that nostalgia and some of that retro throwback atmosphere throughout the entire show, not just with the set and the intro, but like I mentioned earlier with some of those, you know, uh, promotional consideration spots, the, 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 uh, for over five and a half years, the revolutionary force, the intro, it just felt like they tried really hard to give us as fans and viewers a good show. So yes, we can take some marks off for the backlot brawl, not really delivering to expectations and maybe Keith Lee, John Gargano, we thought could be better than it actually was. But you look at that women's match, the fact that they got carrying crossover extremely strong and the Damian Priest and you know Finn Balor match that really popped me. I thought it was great. And I enjoyed this takeover pay-per-view. So as an entire show, you know, takeovers have to get graded on a curve because you think, you always think you're going to get an A-plus show. I'd give this a B. It was a really solid takeover and I was entertained fully from it. So I thought NXT did a good job. Paul Levesque did a really good job. Uh, And you all did a really good job sitting with me for about a half hour, listening to my instant analysis of NXT TakeOver in your house. A reminder, we will be back Tuesday, breaking down everything that has gone on in WWE over the last few days. SmackDown, of course, already aired. Monday Night Raw is coming up less than 24 hours from when I am taping this show. And we have a Thursday episode where we talk all things NXT and AEW coming out of their weekly programs. I do seriously and sincerely hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, and I know you did, head on over to Apple Podcasts, drop that five-star rating and review. Tell the Silver King you love him. Tell me you want more instant analysis of pay-per-views. Tell me I'm doing the right thing, and I promise I will keep doing them. Don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Getting Overcast. And there's only one more person who has something to say to you before I sign off. Elizabeth, come on out that. Here, oh, man. We got something going that's oh, really big. Oh, yeah. Look in the video scope right now and tell him about Macho Madness. Tell him how strong it is and tell him where we're going. Yeah. We into the Twilight Zone. Yeah. And how Kogan's got no chance, does he? No. Does anybody have a chance against the Macho Man right no. now? And one of the greatest wrestlers, past, present, and future that ever lived. Why? Okay, say goodbye. Say goodbye. Okay, get out of here. That's a little rough, Randy. Yeah, but it is rough. Yeah, wrestling is a rough sport. And I am the roughest one in the sport. I am the number one wrestler in the world today. Oh, Hogan, I will. Thank you, Randy Savage. See you all Tuesday. Bye for now.